Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father John Ignatius and Father Paul Koska sharing the story of the founding of the community. For more information about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. We are excited that you're joining us for this historic first episode of the Servants Podcast. My name is Ed Lugo. I am the project manager for the Servants of Christ Jesus, and I am sitting here with two longtime friends who are also my bosses. So I will watch what I say about you guys, Father John Ignatius and Father Paul Koska. So welcome to your own podcast. You guys can say hi, by the way. Hello. Good to be here. Um, All right. Because this is the first episode, uh, I think it would be helpful for you guys to share uh, just a bit about the the vision and the purpose of this podcast and uh, what you hope will will come of it and what you hope will be accomplished through it. So I think the main idea with trying to do this podcast is to just share the spirituality and charism of the community and you know, we travel to a lot of different places and are able to share about the community, but uh, this is kind of just one opportunity to be able to give a little bit of the background about who we are and what we do and why we do what we do um, as a community, because uh, religious life is somewhat uh, you know, unique in the culture, generally speaking, and then we're obviously a new community in the midst of, of a culture where not many people necessarily are familiar with religious life, and so it's really be hoping to be able to share a little bit about that. Well, God is here and God is alive, and we just want to share um, how God has invited us and God has impacted our lives uh, for uh, the edification of the church and for the inspiration of others to um, live out their relationship with God in a, uh, a grateful, joyful, intentional, and sacrificial way. And we just hope that uh, that sharing our the way we do it will uh, help others uh, to live their life with God uh, more generously as well. Awesome. Um, so today we're talking about the founding of the community, uh, which is why you two are here. I know uh, Father John refers to you, Father Paul, as the founder of the community. So we're going to get a little bit into that. Um, but prior to founding the community, obviously, each of you discovered a vocation to the priesthood. I assume that it didn't happen like at the exact time that you founded the community you'd recognize the Lord's call before founding the community. So I just wanted to ask you guys about that. If you could um, kind of start just by sharing with us the story of, of your vocation, you know, when and how you discovered uh, the call from the Lord to the priesthood and how you responded to it. In um, 1984, I had a conversion at 16 years old uh, that, uh, that brought me into a uh, direct and explicit relationship with Jesus Christ, who uh, called me to himself into relationship with him, but I, I wasn't aware that it would unfold in a priestly direction. Um, during college, I had a tremendous spiritual director, uh, Father Bob Caro, who gave me the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola, and during those spiritual exercises in my senior year of college, I came to, uh, to understand um, a call to religious life, uh, particularly along the lines of Francis of Assisi, um, whose biography uh, in, inspired me. Um, and so I really, uh, um, I really came to a call to religious life uh, towards the end of college. 
um, and uh, discerned that for uh, many subsequent years. Um, and, uh, um, and it was in uh, uh, 2003, um, during a spiritual exercises uh, retreat, uh, that God um, was challenged by me, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he asked me, what do you want to do? And having seen different communities and um, having um, experienced ministry in many different ways, uh, the Lord gave me um, the opportunity to express what was in my own heart, uh, praise and worship and spiritual direction and adoration and missionary life and radical poverty and uh, chastity with integrity and obedience and uh, all these different elements, uh, I said to the Lord after I listed them all out, wrote them all out, I said, Lord, when I find this, I'll join it. And, uh, um, and so I called. I called a bishop. I called a couple of priests looking for a place to live out the spiritual exercises and live out the, uh, the, the new evangelization in the church as a, as a, as a consecrated and missionary priest. And uh, there wasn't any place that uh, they, could, uh, they could refer me to. And, um, and so I, I, I put that journal aside and began uh, applying for Ph.D. programs, uh, not suspecting that, um, uh, that a community might get started. And in fact, I, I, I had an aversion to starting a community um, because uh, I didn't want, unless the Lord builds a house, um, in vain to the builder's labor. And I, and I didn't want to build anything myself. I wanted the, Lord, um, the Lord's initiative and the Lord's activity to build something. And so I was hoping to uh, to join something that was already started, um, and that was in a in a uh, in de- end of 2003. It was about December of 2003, and uh, it would be uh, actually that year, uh, December of 2002, uh, because it'd be more than a year uh, before uh, that list of desires and uh, and charisms um, would actually become visible in a way that I didn't that I didn't expect or suspect. And then for me in 1984, I was not yet alive. Uh, and then uh, I was—I grew up in in the Woodlands, Texas, and uh, was s- kind of a nominal uh, Catholic in uh, many ways. And uh, during the end of my time in middle school, the beginning of my time in high school, um, a new parish opened up in the city where I was living, San Antonio, Padua, and I. Uh, went through confirmation uh, through St. Anthony of Padua, and it was through my year of being confirmed. I was on a retreat where I had the opportunity to go to confession for the first time since my first confession, and then uh, just a few minutes after that confession, I experienced a call to be a priest. At that time, I didn't really have a clarity about whether it was diocesan or religious or anything like that. And that was 2001 uh, when I was a sophomore. So I finished out my time of high school, uh, ended up going to Franciscan University, uh, where I uh, continued to have a clarity about the fact that I was called to be a priest. But uh, it wasn't until my second year at Franciscan uh, that I ended up uh, getting some more more clarity, but yeah. So I have a, I had an initial clarity about my vocation, calling to the priesthood while I was in high school, but it wasn't until later uh, that while I was in college that religious life and all of that came to the forefront. Nice. So uh, um, Franciscan University of Steubenville, uh, as you guys each talked about, uh, is where the two of you met. Um, 
uh, I guess quickly, um, Father John, can you just explain how you ended up at Franciscan and kind of what it meant to you going forward with the founding of the community? Um, in uh, 1998, um, I was already, um, I'd already been a uh, high school religion teacher at a ca- what, one Catholic high school, and I was then a campus minister at another Catholic high school. And I'd been doing a, a teaching and ministry at the high school level for a, uh, for a number of very grace-filled years. Um, but I also felt like I, uh, I had a, a desire for graduate studies in theology. So I'd, I'd gotten a, ma- a bachelor's degree in philosophy from Loyola Marymount University and a minor in theology. Uh, but I kept meeting um, Steubenville grads who were on fire for their faith. They knew their faith, and they had this uh, uh, fire and, uh, and joy um, about their faith. And, um, and so that attracted me to uh, visiting Franciscan, applying for a, a master's degree in theology. And uh, to afford that master's degree, I worked in uh, student life as a residence director. Um, so that's what brought me to Steubenville. Um, I uh, wasn't clear on how my vocation would be lived out um, when I first got there, whether I'd be a uh, a married man or a religious, it was still unclear um, because it wouldn't be for a couple of years after I arrived at Steubenville that I that I would uh, discover those uh, those desires uh, for, as I said, you know, uh, spiritual exercises and adoration and praise and worship and radical poverty and chastity and obedience. So, uh, so Steubenville was a place of adoration, a place of praise and worship, a place of orthodox, uh, dynamic orthodoxy. Uh, a place of mission, um, a place of uh, uh, brotherhood and sisterhood in the household system. And uh, it really was a, a, a place that uh, not just educated and formed me, but also uh, kind of inspired me um, to, uh, uh, to look ahead with uh, a great hope and great creativity with, uh, um, with where God was uh, calling and leading. And then for me, uh, two people from Franciscan were uh, involved in my initial conversion, one who led the confirmation retreat that opened me up to the possibility of following Jesus, a guy named N.A. Hickman, who was a student at Franciscan at the time that he was leading the retreat. And then uh, the person that was leading the retreat where I ended up uh, going to confession for the first time in a long time and experiencing the call to be a priest, Mike Gormley, uh, was also uh, ended up at Franciscan as well. And so I kind of initially was exposed to Franciscan via these two guys, that one that was currently there and one that was on his way there. And then I, uh, similar to Father John, you know, just had lots of people around me that were uh, going to Franciscan or were currently there and were solid Catholics and uh, really dynamic and faithful to the Lord. And so I initially kind of felt inspired to go there because of that. And also I had a, since I had a clarity about the priesthood, uh, Franciscan had a good reputation for a solid philosophy program, which is necessary to get, get ordained and everything. And so I ended up at Franciscan that way. And then for me, uh, Franciscan, obviously, you know, provided my undergraduate education, but there was also uh, a formation uh, in Ignatian spirituality that would end up be becoming formative, one through a class that I took uh, at Franciscan, but then also in living in household life in a household called, called AMDG, 
uh, which had an Ignatian foundation to it. And so Franciscan both provided, you know, a uh, academic formation for me, but also the personal formation that would end up being the foundation uh, for my uh, greater pursuit of religious life. Now, Michael Gormley uh, wasn't just a friend. Wasn't he your legal guardian when you started at Franciscan? Yeah, I, I started at such a young age that I uh, I was 17 during my first year at Franciscan, so it was a uh, I, I was definitely a young young person at, at the university. So you were a student. Father John uh, was a residence hall director. Um, how did you guys connect? Like, what brought the two of you guys together? Yeah, so the common connection uh, between us was a, a guy named Thomas Yeager, who was uh, a resident uh, of of the dorm where Father John was a residence director. And was also uh, somebody that I was an intent to AMDG with um, and then got into household, uh, AMDG household with him. And so Thomas was the mutual connection uh, between the two of us. Father John had also been a residence director for me. And one particular interaction that we had, I remember I uh, got sick uh, while I was a resident of his dorm and had been, uh, you know, was sick and was vomiting and stuff like that. And uh, he took initiative to bring me, I think it was Gatorade uh, when in my sickness. And so even though he didn't, you know, we weren't like best friends at that time or something of all the people in the dorm, like he was the one person that intentionally reached out and uh, came to assistance in my need. Um, and so that was one initial sort of interaction that we had among, amongst that stuck out to me, you know, prior to actually founding the community. Great. Now, Father John talked about his prayer and journaling for a community. Um, and I know that there was you and Thomas Yeager uh, also praying about a community. Can you just explain that and like what brought that up to, yeah, to light? Yeah, so during my second, uh, during the second year at Franciscan, uh, in the fall semester, of, so I came to Franciscan in spring of 03, so I graduated early from high school, was at Franciscan spring of 03, and then fall of 03, uh, I continued at Franciscan, and everything was going uh, very well. I got into MDG that fall, I was involved in uh, youth ministry, helping out at a life team parish in town. Uh, academically, I was doing better than I had the first semester because uh, there were some academic challenges the first semester, just transitioning from a public school to a private university. And But anyway, so that fall semester went very well. Uh, but towards the end of that semester, kind of in a confusing way, I had a, a lack of peace uh, about where I was, even though all of the external things, like if you looked at my life, my grades were doing better than in the spring. I was doing more youth ministry stuff than I had ever done before. Um, I had gotten into the household that I had desired to get into. So there was nothing like externally to explain like, this is why I have this lack of peace. And so over Christmas break, uh, I went home and met with my voc the vocations director in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, uh, a guy named Father Clint Ressler, was a, a great man. And we were talking and just about 
my internal experience in light of, you know, everything externally going well. And through my conversation with him, you know, he advised me to stay at Franciscan, uh, but there wasn't really a clarity about why I felt a lack of peace. And so a little bit later during that break, uh, Thomas and I uh, went to um, a parish that had perpetual adoration or uh, I don't know if it was perpetual or it was a fair amount of adoration. And we, uh, in Memorial Park, which is a really uh, beautiful area um, in Houston. And so we went to adoration um, and were praying and talking afterwards uh, and went to a, a Mexican restaurant, which also influences the community even to today uh, with our love for Mexican food. But uh, we went and while we were at, at this meal, we started talking about uh, St. Ignatius and the, you know, the formation of St. Ignatius and uh, also about St. Francis of Assisi and his poverty. And it was through that initial prayer um, and conversation in Houston that I started to have a clarity about uh, that the Lord is calling me uh, to pursue something with a religious life. And then a little bit later, um, after Christmas break was over and we got back to Franciscan, Thomas and I met up again. And we, I articulated to Thomas that I needed to concretely do something with this, these desires that I had. Um, because, yeah, I think it's just part of my personality. Like if I am going to, if I have an inspiration about something, I should do something about it rather than just letting it sit and be, be fallow. And so, um, I ended up, uh, so Thomas and I were talking and Thomas wanted to talk with his spiritual director to get some counsel, um, about, and, and, and the two specific things we were talking about was, uh, praying and doing penance about starting a new, a new community. And since, you know, Thomas had a spiritual director. He wanted to get some guidance from his spiritual director about that. I didn't have a spiritual director at the time. I was, uh, I had, I had had a priest that was of being support to me, but I didn't have a regular one like, like Thomas did. And so, uh, that's how we initially kind of came to, to the, where the founding community actually took place. And who was his spiritual director? His spiritual director was, uh, who ended up being uh, the person who is now Father John, uh, was his spiritual director. So Thomas and, and he met up, and I'll let Father John talk a little bit about that interaction since I wasn't at that, that interaction. Uh, Thomas Yeager. Um, we talked about Christmas break, and we talked about prayer, um, and, uh, and it didn't come up during the course of our hour uh, until, uh, until after the appointment was over. And then he made reference to, uh, um, to an appointment that I had with, um, now Father Paul. And he said, you know what it's about? And I said, I have no idea. Um, and he said, well, we have started praying and doing penance about starting a new community. And, uh, I thought, good for you. You know, um, I, I had no, I had no uh, inclination. I had no, um, um, I had no idea that um, my journey would overlap with their journey. It was just uh, praying and doing penance. It, it did catch my attention they were doing penance. It made it uh, credible that it wasn't just uh, two undergrads trying to, trying to build something, um, but they were uh, laying the foundation in prayer and self-denial. So 
I was uh, I was inspired, uh, but I didn't feel attracted. Um, I just thought, well, oh, well, that's a good thing for two undergraduates to do is to do prayer and penance and and consider starting something uh, for God's glory. Um, and it wouldn't be until uh, until later when I actually had the appointment uh, with uh, with Father Paul as an undergrad that um, all of the all of the desires would actually come to light, and then I would be uh, I would be startled, surprised, and uh, and challenged um, with the overlap of their desires with um, what the Lord had given me some thirteen months earlier. So, if you could just take us through that meeting that you just referenced. Um, which I think is what you consider as the founding of the community. Is that correct? Yeah. So there is from my memory, which is in my, my older years is uh, starting to fade. But um, so there was an initial uh, interaction that father John and I had where uh, we were, he was asking, you know, why we're meeting. And then, you know, we ended up, I ended up describing uh, the, the charisms or the what we were feeling called to do, just uh, describing what I was feeling led to do. Then there was another uh, additional meeting where Father John, myself, and Thomas, all three of us met together. So there was, there was kind of two distinctive meetings from my memory, if that's... Um, yes, I, I remember meeting with uh, Matthew at the time, um, and it was a before supper, if I recall, and um, uh, he informed me what we were meeting about. We said a prayer. And then uh, um, I wanted to be of support to this undergraduate uh, young man who wanted to do something for God's glory. And so, uh, um, so he said, well, we're praying and doing penance about starting a new community. I said, good for you. Um, uh, what do you want to do? And I pulled out a piece of paper just to, uh, 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 just to kind of keep the list in front of me. And, uh, and he starts listing off a, a whole lot of uh, elements that, uh, uh, that I had expressed to the Lord, um, as I said, you know, 13 months earlier. And, um, and I, just, um, I just heard it. I received it. I smiled. And I said, well, this sounds, this sounds good. It sounds like it's of the Lord. It sounds like for, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good foundation. And, and um, uh, Matthew being Matthew, I said, well, what do we do next? And I said, well, I think, uh, I think it'd be good uh, to, to hear you and, and Thomas together, you know, about what the two of you want to do. And he wanted to meet as soon as possible, but there, I did have another appointment and I did have uh, supper. So we, uh, so we agreed that if, um, if Matthew could get Thomas, that we would meet after supper. And, uh, and so, uh, so then together, um, all, all three of us met. And when Thomas made, put out his list, um, I had a, uh, um, I had a decision to make as a staff member. I was not a priest. I was not a religious. I was a staff member at the university, and I had a decision to make of uh, whether I was going to share the fruits of my retreat from a little over a year earlier um, that matched their desires, and um, and internally I thought, well, I think it's okay for me just to read the list. So I went and found my journal and I opened it up and I just read the list you know, of, of, uh, of charisms and desires for, for the community that I was looking to join and that they had already started praying and doing penance uh, to found. And, and because they'd already taken the initiative to pray and do penance um, in founding this community, it seemed like, it seemed to me that the Lord had already founded it 
And I wasn't coming in and founding it. I was coming in and kind of like sharing the desires that I had. And, um, and at that moment, um, there was surprise um, all around. I was surprised that two undergrads had duplicated, you know, the list that I had made. And uh, they were surprised that I had um, the same uh, list virtually that they had. And, um, and then there's just a quiet um, among the three of us. And, and Thomas said, I, I feel like I, I should know what we're supposed to do next. And uh, he said, but I don't. And I said, well, that's fine. I, I, I don't have any idea what we're supposed to do next. And then, uh, and then uh, I remember Father Paul kind of uh, bowing his head and praying in silence for a moment, smiling, and then uh, beginning to reveal what the Lord was giving him. And what had happened uh, for me was as we were sitting there, I uh, had this image come to mind of Jesus being out on the water and calling us out onto the water, inviting us out onto the water. And so I, so I shared that, that image that I felt like the Lord was giving to me from the scriptures. And then uh, we sat there for a little bit, and the mutual response of all three of us was just the fact that we were we were all three free, uh, free to follow what the Lord, follow the invitation of the Lord, what the Lord had for us, and so that was the the initial kind of openness. Mm. Yes, uh, um, yeah, Matthew raised his head and said along those same lines, you know, I, I feel like the Lord is out on the water inviting us to leave our boats and our nets behind and to, uh, to step out on the water and come follow him. And so, so there was this, um, there was this uh, realization, um, uh, a poignant realization that everything in my life had led up to this moment and that um, I could decline it, um, I could accept it, um, if I declined it, um, God's, uh, uh, God's plan would be, you know, one way in my life. But if I accepted it, I would have no idea uh, how it would all unfold, but that this was um, an opportunity uh, to, uh, to live that relationship with Christ into the unknown, uh, but also uh, closer to him and towards him and in a way that he'd already created me and revealed to me um, that I wanted to live for his glory and um, and so I knew that when I was saying I'm free, uh, that I was saying I'm free for this. Um, and so uh, um, so all three of us expressed uh, this uh, I'm free. And I think at that point we went downstairs to uh, Trinity Hall Chapel just to offer God um, prayer and praise and to share whatever words arose. Um, and I remember down there in Trinity Hall Chapel at Franciscan University on February 10th, uh, 2004, um, we were praying, and um, and then I uh, had long before um, uh, prayed a lot with uh, Philippians chapter two, and I uh, started to recite Philippians chapter two, and and Thomas and and uh, and Matthew kind of like looked at one another and and, and smiled because it seemed to be another uh, confirmation um, because um, apparently Philippians two had already been a part of their prayer and their discernment. So Philippians 2, uh, when I was in high school, I, after my conversion and everything, I started to read the scriptures more intentionally. And I remember reading Philippians 2, 6 through 11 when I was in high school. And the first time I read it, it just like remained with me. And so I, even though I couldn't recite much of the Bible by memory at that point, that particular verse 
just remained with me as something I could recite, recite verbatim without any like effort to try to memorize it. And so that when Father John uh, prayed from Philippians 2, 6 to 11, it was an uh, external sign to me of, of the Lord's love and his presence and, you know, just his confirmation that he was doing something that was beyond just any of our own uh, individual initiatives, but it was a, a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit for me. And it was confirming for me as well, and that confirmation would move into our visioning eventually, but also into the name of our community, because Jesus empties himself and takes the form of a slave, takes the form of a servant. Um, in the Greek, it's doulos. Um, in the uh, Latin, I believe it's servus. And, um, and from that Philippians 2 hymn um, comes the, eventually the name of our community from uh, Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, um, to the church at Philippi. And so servants of Christ Jesus um, comes out of the Philippians to him, but also from the letter to, of St. Paul to the Philippians. And so, uh, so that, uh, uh, that scripture is, uh, uh, was not only there at the founding, but it continues to be um, the inspirational and founding text um, for us um, these many years later. So this is February 10th, 2004, is that correct? Okay. Um, so Thomas's role in this is, is pretty unique because uh, just a few months later, right, four or five months later, um, Thomas discerned, he was the link essentially that kind of brought the two of you together in the founding of this community. And then a few months later, he did a 30-day re retreat. And then, <laughs> Father, could you explain this part? Yeah, the, there's no question in my mind that I would not have started or joined a community of one person, Matthew Fenter, all by himself. Um, and uh, and so Thomas was absolutely essential. Thomas's enthusiasm, Thomas's uh, faith, Thomas's prayer life, um, I was already familiar with and I already trusted. Um, and so um, a, a community of two is hardly a community. And so it was good that there were three of us uh, from the very beginning. Um, and uh, in, in February, the three of us uh, drew the vision statement together within a week. Um, and uh, the, the journey continued when uh, uh, Father Paul um, brought it to Bishop uh, Daniel Conlon of the Diocese of Steubenville. Um, and so Thomas was part of the prayer at the beginning, part of the regular um, uh, morning prayer at Colby and the regular meals, um, dinner time and vespers over at uh, Trinity Hall and uh, the dreaming of the community, the pursuit of the community, the founding of the community. Um, the, uh, um, but uh, but it, yes, over that first summer, um, in the summer of, of 2004, um, we determined that this would be a good time for Thomas to make his 30-day silent retreat. And there were, if memory serves, two other young men who were making the 30 side him. Um, and so, uh, so I had, I had resigned, um, uh, from, uh, residence life and, uh, and moved off campus and was hired as director of evangelization for the university. So we had a house off campus, um, and, uh, another young man, at least one other young man, if not two, were making the 30 day alongside Thomas. And, and, and during that, uh, Thomas will tell you, you know, that, uh, he went in, um, uh, and with, uh, all of the, um, desire and intention to, uh, to, to be a servant of Christ Jesus and the Lord, um, uh, about, uh, oh, probably three weeks into the 30 day had, uh, had this beautiful and persistent, um, invitation to Thomas towards family life, um, which was startling for him. Um, 
And, uh, but, uh, since it was coming from the Lord, it was not disruptive for me. I was, I was more curious than anything. And at the end of the 30 day, um, I just asked Thomas to uh, call Matthew first, that Matthew would be the first to hear uh, before, um, before it would become public that, uh, that Thomas wasn't going to be in this, uh, in this community. And, uh, and then, uh, Matthew and I would have, uh, the necessary prayer and discernment about what to do now and what to do next. So yes, by the uh, by the end of June, probably two thousand four, um, uh, Thomas uh, Thomas was no longer a part of the. He was a friend, and actually, uh, uh, um, uh, we sh- we shared the house for another semester at least. Um, but uh, but Thomas continued his undergraduate uh, life and studies, um, while uh, while Matthew and I uh, continued to discern and discover God's plan for what was ostensibly a community, but now just two of us. So essentially the Lord brought Thomas into this, brought you two together, took Thomas out, and now Thomas is happily married. How many they have two kids, three kids? Two kids? I think just two. Two down in Houston. Um and uh and, and you guys are still in, in contact and communication with him. Uh in fact he was up here a couple of years ago for the Patriarch retreat. Um <clears throat> so I just have to ask, were you guys nervous? Did you think this was gonna last? What did you think? So I was uh doing foreign language studies over in Spain at the time. And so, uh, I, I think I was on like a voiceover, voiceover internet, like phone call thing when I, when I heard it. So, I mean, it was definitely uh, surprising. And, and then that fall I was studying abroad in Austria. Um, and so, um, but yeah, even in the midst of that transition, the Lord uh, took me deeper in prayer. Uh, Father John and I uh, remained um, in communication over that fall, and my vocational discernment didn't change. You know, so I, and so I, even though there was some tumultuousness in a certain way, at the same time, the Lord's work um, in my own life and heart uh, remained constant. And so, yeah, so I wasn't particularly disturbed by it uh but yeah so yeah i i had complete confidence that when i said i'm free on february 10th that i was free for the unknown and this was part of the unknown and i knew in god's sovereignty that god could begin something and god could end something um and uh, and i didn't know how it would turn out um i just knew that we were entirely in god's hands um, and so, uh, um, of course there's curiosity, is this going to work out? And, um, um, but there wasn't any, I didn't feel like I was grasping. In fact, in fact, I felt very, very free, um, to, to let it go. If God moved in that direction that I had stepped out, that I had given what I could give, um, and dreaming up the vision, we were in uniforms by this time. So, um, whatever was, had been on clearance at JC Penney's, there was these blue shirts and gray pants, you know, and, and, uh, and I was already wearing it and I'd already given away my clothes, you know, and I'd already, you know, kind of like moved into a new state of life. So we were living a vision. We were in kind of, a, a uniform that was, uh, um, that was very, very simple. Um, and we were already living, you know, um, a, a prayer life. Um, but we were living on different continents, <laughs> Uh, uh, Matthew at the time was over in, in Europe, as he said, I was in North America. It did provoke a lot of curiosity 
um, questioning um, and mostly curiosity actually from my part about whether this this guy over in Austria was was uh, um, was going to kind of uh, move in a different direction uh, because Steubenville students are are uh, well known to, uh, to to move in different directions sincerely um, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit uh, moving from one direction to another direction. Um, but had that happened, um, I think I would have been grateful for the experience, but would have, you know, moved into a uh, moved into another season of discernment um, uh, very easily. So there was a lot of um, uncertainty. There was a lot of curiosity, um, but there's also a lot of purification and groundedness because I was living uh, ostensibly a vision and a community life all by myself in the United States, as uh, as Matthew was all by himself over in. Uh, over in uh, in Europe, and uh, and so living that made me very very detached, uh, which I which I remain to this day that God can begin something, God can sustain something, um, God can draw fruit from it, and God can call an end to something. Um, we just our 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 desire is just to keep handing ourselves over to the Lord. So I experienced just a an ongoing remarkable detachment, um, uh, wanting to do God's will with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but. But not grasping at any particular form or any particular um, uh, results, and uh, so Thomas's departure was was God given. Um, the founding of the community was God given, and then it was just kind of curious and uncertain about what God was going to give next. And uh, and when I went over to uh, Austria to visit uh, the the Austrian campus of Franciscan, where where uh, Father Paul was at the time as an undergrad. I just remember kind of like wondering if this was going to be uh, a strengthening or a, a, a kind of like the dissolution, you know, of, of like where he was going to be. I kept uh, kind of being curious about um, if or when, you know, uh, 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 Matthew would also discern something else, you know, discern something else, which, uh, uh, which never happened. But I was always curious and open to, you know, um, the, uh, the Lord moving in a different direction. So you came back from Austria. You guys continued to uh, undergo formation. Uh, I think it was Father Dan Petit, is that correct, at Franciscan? And, uh, and, and to form and, and, and to kind of create the groundwork for the community. Um, and then in the summer of 2005, you did your 30-day uh, silent retreat. Uh, and at that time, uh, my understanding is that the Lord confirmed your vocation uh, and encouraged the kind of continuation of the community. The the sequence is a little bit different. Um, actually, uh, we started living under the same roof in January of 2005. Um, it was only subsequent to uh, Matthew's 30 day that that Father Dan came in and did the formation. So 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 in the 30 day, um, um, I half expected uh, Matthew to actually discern what. Uh, Thomas Yeager discerned. It was in the back of my head the entire 30 days, like, God, what are you going to do? Well, wide open and, um, and kind of nervous and excited to find out how this was going to go because it's entirely in the Lord's hands. The spiritual exercises are, are such an experience of detachment and uh, faithfulness and growing closer to the Lord and then letting the Lord speak whatever the Lord wants to speak. And so, so I was kind of uh, I was uncertain about how it was all going to turn out. And, uh, and uh, I'll let Matthew talk about his, uh, talk, Father Paul talk about his own 30-day. Yeah, so on the 30-day, the uh, it was, yeah, an uh, amazing experience of 
growing close to Jesus, uh, to be able to contemplate his, his presence and to enter into the mystery of his life. And, uh, the Lord, yeah, just continued to confirm, uh, what he had inspired in me, uh, when I was in high school towards the priesthood and then continued to confirm, uh, the pursuit of religious life and taking vows within the servants. And so, yeah, there was a, just a experience of continuity um, and continuing to grow closer to Jesus uh, throughout throughout the 30 days. So then going forward after that, uh, a few months later in October, that was first vows. Is that correct? October of that year? At the end of uh, Matthew's 30 day, um, I knew that he had a uh, call to the evangelical councils as revealed by Christ explicitly in the exercises. Um, we went to Israel for a month. We came back, and I talked to my spiritual director, Father Dan Petit, um, about what do we do next, you know. And uh, he's the one um, graciously and generously um, uh, proposed that what we needed was a seasoned religious, in his words, a seasoned religious to provide, you know, some conferences on the evangelical councils, poverty and chastity and obedience and and uh, and not just uh, for 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 single celibates, but for a uh, but for a, a, a ostensible community and a, and a brotherhood, and um, and so uh, Father Dan, if memory serves, gave us uh, uh, six conferences: uh, two on poverty, two on chastity, two on obedience, and then uh, um, and then uh, scheduled our our first profession of vows. I believe it was October 29th, uh, two thousand five, and he uh, celebrated and. Uh, uh, Father Joe Lehman, who's now the provincial of the TORs, um, if I understand correctly, was the concelebrant there, and uh, and that's when we uh, that's when we celebrated our first vows at the end of October, uh, two thousand five. Um, and that was when you were no longer Aaron and Matthew, you became Brother John and Brother Paul. Uh, how did those names come about? Who picked them? Um, early on. Um, we had, when Thomas was actually still a member of the community, so this would have been April or May of 2004, we had um, elected to choose religious names, and, um, and I had, uh, I had a, a vocalized a proposal to both of them, um, one, to, uh, one to Thomas, but also one to uh, um, Matthew. And uh, uh, St. Paul, the apostle, the missionary, I never knew a young man who traveled as much as uh, as uh, as uh, Brother Paul, um, he's always on the go. He loves bringing uh, the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Um, but also, uh, Stanislas Koska um, was a uh, was a young uh, follower of Saint Ignatius Loyola, um, who uh, and and uh, um, and uh, because uh, Father Paul was, I believe, eighteen when the community started, turned nineteen overseas, if I'm not mistaken, or turned 19 maybe down in Florida before he went overseas. Um, Stanislaus Koska was a very, very young man who uh, actually uh, passed away very, very young, but he was a young, young saint. And, um, and so, uh, so Paul Koska was the name that, uh, uh, that, uh, that I had proposed way before vows, back when Thomas was still a part of the community. And then with uh, Father John, uh, Father John was known, or was teaching at Franciscan um, over the course of the, the years that he was there. Two classes, one was uh, Introduction to Scripture, and the second was uh, 
Ignatian spirituality class. And I think those two classes that he taught were reflective of, of two particular gifts that, that he had. One was uh, a love for the word of God, his own personal love for the word of God, but also a great capacity to then share and teach, uh, teach people and invite them into knowing uh, Christ in the scriptures. And so John the Apostle being uh, the evangelist with, and in most people's estimation, the the most profound gospel, the uh, highest gospel in a certain way. Uh, John the Apostle was uh, somebody who Father John uh, seemed to have a spiritual connection to. And then, as I mentioned, Father John taught Ignatian spirituality and uh, St. Ignatius's uh, gift for guiding souls and uh, his gift for not just guiding souls individually, but also his gift for uh, being able to teach uh, teach people about the spiritual life. Uh, St. Ignatius was uh, the second part of Father John's, Father John's name. So it was really connected with uh, his love for the Word of God and his uh, capacity both to direct souls, but also to teach about the spiritual life. And this is 15 years ago. Um, So this year you'll be celebrating the 15th anniversary of vows. And last year was the 15th anniversary of the founding of the community. Um, And there is a lot to talk about in the future. uh, And we can get into some of that uh, later on later episodes in terms of your move to Denver and then your uh, enrollment here in the seminary and ordination in 2013. Uh, is there anything else that you guys want to add to the story of the founding of the community before we close? Uh, just uh, uh, thanksgiving to God um, and thanksgiving to the people that God put in our lives um, to to affirm and to challenge and to um, encourage us. Um, I don't think I would have trusted um, this if it hadn't been for my spiritual director at the time, Father Dan Petit. Uh, the TOR sisters in Franciscan University of Steubenville, particularly Sister Mary Rose Bratlin, um, whose uh, who's recounting of their own founding and uh, Sister Jean's counsel early on um, uh, from the TOR sisters. Uh, the Franciscan friars, uh, particularly Father Michael Scanlon and Father um, Dave Pavanka and Father Terrence Henry, um, all three of whom we met with uh, before we got very far. Before we went public, we wanted to, to honor the friars and uh, ask the friars blessing and counsel. Um, and, uh, and so they had different words of, uh, of, uh, encouragement, um, and also, uh, counsel, you know, early, early on, but, uh, uh, but really, um, uh, God just, uh, used a lot of people, um, along the way to, uh, to help us out. And, um, and so I just give great thanks to God for his immediate grace, but also the mediated graces that we received, particularly from, um, the religious around us, um, at Franciscan University. And I would echo similar to Father John, you know, neither of us are like superhuman beings or anything where, you know, we're so holy that, you know, the Lord called us to it. But I think it was just, yeah, the Lord called us to it because he wanted to manifest his glory in a particular way in the world. And uh, echoing Father John, yeah, just the gratitude of, you know, that the Lord put us in such an amazing environment being at Franciscan um, and surrounded us um, both personally in our own lives uh, before we got to know each other and then once the community got founded with 
just such amazing people that have been supportive of of the community and supportive of the founding of the community in particular and so there's a lot of gratitude for uh, what the lord has done and the people that the lord has put into our lives excellent well thank you to the two of you for joining me on this episode and for employing me as well um, and thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode of the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. This week, obviously, we talked about the founding of the community and Father John and Father Paul's vocation stories. Next week, I will be sitting down with the next servant, Father James Claver, as he recounts his vocation story and his joining of the community. You can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus and find podcast episodes in the future, as well as plenty of homilies and talks at scjesus.org. Fathers, is there anything else that you would like to add in closing? Um, Please pray for us. Uh, Yes, please pray for us. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.